He was drunk on the ear, and I went and smelled, sniffed the bottle. Oh, he didn't drink the vodka. It was no, it, it was it was rum. It was coke. It was rum and coke. And I opened it up because he's slurring on the ear. Oh, all no. these things. And I went, okay, get up. And he says, go ahead, fire me. I said, okay, you're fired. And I'm standing against a wall. So a drunken guy just telegraphs his punch, yeah. and he just hauls off roundhouses and punches a hole in the wall. Because oh I just got out of the way. Because you got away. But he literally I mean, tried to cold cock. Oh, yeah. Ben's Town President Dave Chachi Dennis loves radio. And all of his radio friends. Hey, Chachi. Hey, everybody. Because Chachi loves everybody. <laughs> well, let me uh, kick this off and welcome Bob Lawrence, uh, who literally is just fresh off a plane from Detroit. Flew in to go help his daughter move. We, we, we call it Gross Point, but okay. <laughs> we don't refer to it as Detroit. No, I'm just kidding. Gross Point is lovely, by the way. What it a is. beautiful town. It is. And frankly, uh, people don't understand what's happened to Detroit. You've been there. I have a couple times. Detroit is going through an amazing renaissance that uh, I don't think anyone saw coming. It was a disaster for so many years. Uh, you know, when the recession, the big one hit in 2008, 2009, people left the city in droves. Uh, the auto industry was in trouble. Sure, the, it went uh, bankrupt, it too. It went bankrupt. Uh, you know, people lost jobs. It was terrible. Two people basically are responsible for this, one of whom is Dan Gilbert, who you may know from Quicken Loans. Yeah, right. Owns oh, the... Um, he owns uh, He owns the Cavaliers. Cavaliers, Which right. is odd to me because yeah. he's such a Detroit guy, but yet he owns the Cleveland <laughs> Cavaliers. It's funny, my wife works for one of the family of companies for, for Quicken, and uh, they do these uh, these drawings and all the time for win tickets to see the Cavs, you know, things like that. Right. One time uh, when LeBron was playing there, uh, you know, they brought him in to meet uh, the staff. Oh, that's guys, cool. Guys really, really... Uh, and then the Ildridge family, too, uh, who owned, uh, my gosh. Little Caesars. Little Caesars. Yeah. And uh, the hockey team, I think, was theirs. Um, but but anyway, these two people pumped so much money. Gilbert pretty much owns downtown. He's bought up all the buildings. Quicken has 10 companies with you know tens of thousands of employees downtown. This was a place where nobody wanted to go. Nobody right. wanted to, Nobody wanted to walk. Now it is the place to be. If I was 30 years old and a millennial today, I tell you, I would be buying condos in Detroit. I was absolutely shocked when we went out to see you a few months ago. I went out there with Masa and we stayed at the MGM and we actually walked to the Tigers ballpark, which yep. was probably, I don't know, maybe about a mile. Yep. Saw a, a great game. Uh, we were in the second row and uh, paid $44 for the tickets, <laughs> yeah. which was just fantastic. Although you're still going to pay about $15 for a hot dog. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. 15 bucks for a hot dog. We walked back at you know 10 o'clock at night whenever the game was over, and not for a second did we feel unsafe. I actually felt that it was a much nicer downtown as far as the safety goes than downtown LA. Absolutely. And my wife has to walk about three blocks, maybe four, every day to and from work. Sometimes in the winter, it's dark. And uh, I would 10 years ago, there wouldn't have been a chance I'd let her do that. Uh, but she does it, and... Uh, you know, it's it's just a wonderful place to be. I, I make fun of it like people used to, You know what? Uh, Cleveland's another one where people used to make fun of Cleveland, if you remember, 20 sure. years the ago. The mistake an, by the lake, they used yes, to say. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it, too, went through the same kind of Midwest large city renaissance. Uh, and and I, I frankly, if you would have told me six years ago that I'd be living in Detroit, I would have got, that is the last city, Chachi, <laughs> that I would ever imagine that I'd be living in. 
I, uh, and I get it. I had only been there a couple times, but I was so impressed by it and I've absolutely fallen in love with it. One of my very best friends is from Detroit. And so I, I know quite a bit about it. He grew up there and is, you know, just his mom is still there and told me about all the uh, issues it's had. I know you guys had a corrupt mayor that oh, unfortunately- Oh gosh, bad, Yeah, bad. just spent, uh, I think millions and millions of dollars of bribes he told me about yep. and uh, a lot of construction that they had promised never was done. Responsible for, the, for a lot of the problems that yeah. uh, led to, you know, the, the fall of Detroit. Um, but now, uh, you know, and by the way, it has a rich radio history, Detroit. When you go back to some of the, some of the greatest radio stations in America, I mean, you know, you know, you could point to the big eight, sure. uh, back in, back in the day, uh, even more, you know, contemporary, uh, HYT, yeah. you know, hot hits, that uh, DVD. I mean, you've DVD. got some great radio stations. I, there. When I was doing research for broadcast architecture back, you know, twenty years ago, we were we were working in Detroit, and uh, I I just thought, God, what a rich yeah. radio history here. Riff? Not to mention Chris uh, Ed Christian, who is president and CEO. Uh, you know, has lived in Detroit all his life, Gross Point actually, and he ran uh, uh, WNIC for years. Oh no, kidding! Before he ever got into Saga. Uh, oh, wow. Before you ever started Saga. Well, I want to, what I want to do, and I love that we got into this, we're going a little bit of out of out of order. I've sorry. Broke, no, don't be sorry it's at all. It's my often a tangent squirrel thing. Let me tell you, first of all, and thank you again for coming. Bob literally just got to town. His daughter, Kristen, is getting ready to move to Salt Lake City. Yeah. So he comes in on the day that she's getting ready to move. I don't know if that is to avoid sticking the mattress and carrying <laughs> that down three flights of stairs into the U-Haul, or he's just oh, that nice of a guy. That's coming on Monday. You know? <laughs> but really appreciate you taking time out of your Saturday. Glad to, be to be here. Uh, as we asked you before, we love to break the ice with uh, your favorite or with our, our guest's favorite cocktail. Uh, tell us what you chose and why you like this drink. Why Chachi? I don't drink. <laughs> this is Diet Coke. I don't know what you're for. It's, it's a clear Diet Coke. You guys are really good. Kevin, you're really good at getting, a, at getting us some you know, Diet Coke that <laughs> yeah. has no color to it. Uh, I'm a vodka guy. Yeah. And uh, I'm on this diet. As you uh, noted, thankfully, you, uh, you look uh, fantastic. I, I feel great. I've lost about fifty-two pounds since uh, basically the second week of September, and uh, I know that sounds like a lot, uh, and it really yeah. is. But uh, uh, just a rebirth for me. But the only thing I can drink is vodka because it's low in cal- caloric content. Okay. Uh, it uh, and I can drink it with. Uh, with either a tonic, what is this? Is this uh, club a, soda? Good, yeah. good, good. I was yeah. going to say tonic has a lot of sugar. <laughs> Sorry, uh, you'll have to pour this out and bring me something. Uh, so that is my favorite drink uh, right now. Is it's always been a, I've always been a vodka guy, and you know, truth be told, it was because you can't smell it. Oh, they always say that- if you're going to drink, <laughs> you're going to try to hide it. <laughs> don't drink rum, that's for sure, and don't drink gin. Because they smell bad. (laughs) And uh, vodka just doesn't have a smell. Unless, of course, you drink too much of it, then it comes out of your pores and you really smell bad, like alcohol. Well, cheers. Salud. Thank you again for being here. These offices are amazing. Thank you. I don't know that anybody realizes how how wonderful these are. I I don't want to call them extravagant because I don't think they are. They're just wonderfully, uh, uh, wonderfully set and... Great studios and uh, well, and beautifully designed and 
Kevin was a large part of that. So really? when we built built this out a few years ago, they really just kind of, you, you're given a shell and we'd never done this before. And you are basically handed like a designer to help you with some colors and things like that that the building helps you uh, uh, helps you with, but you're really left to your own devices. And so Kevin was a huge part of helping us design this. And well, then, that doesn't surprise me because yeah. if you can make crystal clear ice, yeah. you can basically do anything. <laughs> I'm pretty well convinced. And then Gary Klein, uh, he used to be the chief engineer for uh, Cumulus also was a big part oh. of helping us build this out. They really are fabulous. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Know, you. Offices are great here. And Thank you. We wanted to emulate a radio station. It I, absolutely uh, does. Yeah. After I'd left, uh, obviously, a clear channel, it was one of the things that I missed was that every day of being in a radio station. So we wanted to uh, do the best we can. Accomplish your goal, because that's, that. that's one thing I will say about working at corporate in at Saga. You could be, you, you might think you're, you're in a bank or an insurance company. Because it doesn't have a radio field, we don't have studios. You know, right. we've got offices. So they're, you know, it's uh, you know, they're all corporate offices. You got all the officers are there, sure. but uh, there's no studios. You got to have that. I think that kind of creative uh, influence. There's one yeah. radio playing. Well, there's two. There's usually one in Ed's office or mine. Yeah. <laughs> so what I've done, Bob, I've broken your professional career into. Kevin, should I be scared? <laughs> yeah, be very afraid. I've broken it into five chapters, and I, I hope you don't mind. But I wanted to do the best I could because you've had. I mean. It, an impressive career, but you've been up and down the dial to a lot of different places. And Just so, call me the WKRP. Of- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the first chapter, tell me a little bit about growing up in New York as a kid. Oh my. Um, I always said that if I didn't get into radio, I probably would have been mobbed up. <laughs> 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 like Tony Soprano, like, type? Uh, you know, hey, because I can turn into Tony in just like a, you know, in just a hair of a second. You know, you just uh, talk to me, uh, and uh, you know, I used to call my friends, "Hey, Joey, Vinny, wait up!" How you doing? <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I was fascinated by radio. My dad wanted me to be a doctor. Okay, uh, and and I thought, okay, well, you know, that's where I'm destined to do. I'm going to be a doctor. I was great in school, and. Uh, how much time do we have here? <laughs> because we, we have honestly, we have, we have as long as long as you want. But uh, I'd love to. I'll, uh, get, there, I'll get to it quickly. Yeah. Um, when when I was a student, I, I was I was a pretty good student. I was one of the students that other students hated because I never had to study. Um, I, I I just went to class. Uh, in 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 college, uh, I went to the lectures. I did my work, but I never really went home and studied. And I still had a, like a three point nine or something like so that. So things came easy to you eh, from a from a. Uh, from a scholastic point of right. view, until I took chemistry. Now, if you know anything about pre-med, which is what I was, you can't get into medical school without getting through chemistry, physiology, right. the basic sciences. And chemistry is not one of those things you go to a lecture and try to remember because it's formulas. Sure. You know, and uh, I thought, well, pff, not a problem. Uh, why, why would this be any different? Right. And I'm, I'm, I finished about half of the semester and I go to my college professor and I said, you know, I'm not doing well in this. She goes, you're right, you're failing. And I, went, <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. In typical, by the way, typical pre-med arrogance. No, 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 no. I'm pre-med. What do you mean? No, no. You, I'm pre-med. I can't fail. She goes, no, you can't. I said, no, 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 seriously. All right, I want to drop it. She goes, yeah, it's a little late. You can't drop it. I said, okay, I'll take it again. It's still going to be on your record. It's not going to get wiped out. You've got an F. And an F in chemistry for pre-med right. is a no-go. And I went, no, wait, I'm pre-med. <laughs> and she literally said, not anymore. Wow, so that she booted you from the program. Oh, well, she she didn't have to <laughs> because I realized this is 
this is over. I'm not so. I you know, try to go home and tell my my dad, the doctor, that I'm not going to follow in his footsteps. So I always was enamored. I mean, I really think I sabotaged myself because I was enamored with radio. I was. Uh, I used to listen to WABC in New York, Dan Ingram and Ron Lundy and. Uh, hello, love. Good morning, ever. You know, it's just the. Uh, it was uh, and Danny Room, the mumbler of all. You know, yes, love it. Yes, WABC. You know, it's just. Uh, <laughs> I, I, and rest his soul. I, I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. As a young kid, I used to listen to them play uh, the records, and I thought, how did they get the band set up so quickly in between songs? Because I thought they were actually bringing people in and playing the music at like right. six or seven years old. So you're really taken with it. Did you want to, <sighs> as a kid though, because you're already in pre-med, younger, at a younger age, did you want to be like Cousin Brucey? I or? did, I did. I was never a Brucey fan, although I respected his ability. I mean, I, I used to listen to him at WNBC back in the day before right. it was WNBC, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> long before that. Uh, there was great talent uh, on so many radio stations out there. Then... Uh, back when I was, I don't know, 17 or so, I would listen to 99X in New York, WXLO New York. That's how they used to do the top of the hour ID, WXLO New York, um, which is a perfectly legal ID, and it was great. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Bobby Rich was the program director. Okay. And, uh, you know, from the, from the Rich Brothers back in San Diego days. Right. KFMB. You remember them, KFMB. Um, but he was programming Erica Farber, was the general manager of WXLO. No kidding. At 27 years old. Wow. I did working not for know RK. that. Nope. 27 years old. The youngest general manager. I thought it, I was, I was completely enamored. I mean, if you can do this at that kind of age, and it was a great radio station. So I went to a remote one day, and I meet a guy by the name of Dick Sloan. And Dick was doing middays. And I walked up to him. I said, hey, my name is Bob. I want to get into radio again. I'm prob- He's probably all of 25, and I'm 17 or 18. And I told him, and he said, hey, you know, um, come on up to the studios one day. We're at 1330 Avenue of the Americas. I think that's where they were. 1440. I think it was 1440 because uh, 1330, I think, was ABC. Anyway, uh, so I go up, and I meet with Dick, and he brings me into the studio, and they've got their engineer. And all there is, it's kind of like this. There's a microphone on one side and a board on the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just had a, a button called Buzz that you'd hit, and that would start, that would tell the guy, there were no cues, they would hit this buzz button, and they'd hit the next cart, the next event. And uh, so in walks Jay Thomas, rest his soul, and Dick says, this is Bob, he wants to get into radio one day. In true Jay Thomas fashion, he looks at me and he goes, schmuck! <laughs> and he walks away. Probably similar to your dad's reaction schmuck! when you told him you were leaving uh, a med school, a pre-med. <laughs> oh, my dad, rest his soul too. I mean, gosh, so many people. Um, he said, uh, you know, you, with all respect, you sound kind of good because I'd make tapes at home and stuff like that, but I, are you good enough to really compete and be the best? I said, I don't know, man. But he said, well, what's your B plan? And, and this is what I've told Kristen, I've told all my kids. I don't believe in B plans. I believe in going with an A plan. Right. Because uh, if you have a B plan, well, what's different about the B plan? It's always easier. The B plan is always more simple than the A plan. That's why you have the B plan. It's a great piece of advice. Uh, so I don't, I've never been one to go for a B plan. I never had one. So uh, that's, uh, that's really, but growing up in New York, I mean, it, was, it was the best radio town. I actually on Facebook got into an argument with a couple of guys uh, recently um, about Chicago or New York. That's another great radio city. Uh, WLS yeah. or WABC. Right. And to me, it was WABC. And right. uh, I mean, we had KHJ here. 
Oh, position 93. Yeah. You know, I remember Bobby Ocean on the air and, and all these great, this great talent that later I would get to work with, by the way, Bobby That's, Ocean at KFRC. Oh, wow. Um, you know, yeah, we're going to get there, by the way. Dreams come true. Sorry. So you're 20 years old. You take your first gig now, paying gig at yeah. WTNL in Southeast Georgia. Yeah. So I, now I, you're I, a city boy. You could say it was boy. paying. Okay. <laughs> you might say it was a paying job. So- what does your dad say at this point? I mean, at this point, he knows you're Chuck! dropping. <laughs> he and Jay Thomas were friends. I don't know. <laughs> this has got to be a pretty big culture shock from you. Growing up in New York, uh, being in market number one, uh, your father's a physician, and you pick up, and now you move to southeast Georgia. Uh, I moved down south from New York, and here I am with this kind of New York attitude, which I've always had, by the way. I still think I have this New York edge to me. Uh, at least people tell me I do. I think I'm a big marshmallow, but people tell me. People tell me <laughs> you, you were, but now that you're down 56 uh, pounds, you're not. You're not a big marshmallow anymore. I have this uh, this New York air about me. Uh, you know, the attitude is: if you're going to ask me what I think, just be prepared for the answer. If you don't want my opinion, don't ask me. And if you do, then be prepared for the honesty. Yeah. Which I was going to get into this a little bit later on too, but I love that candor about you because there's so many people that you deal with, unfortunately, that just aren't exactly straight with you. And I think they're trying to be nice. They don't want to hurt your feelings. And a lot of times it gets really hard to ascertain what is it they want or what they need you to do without the directness. I try to be sensitive. I mean, I do, especially with people that I work with, you know, because I don't, uh, I, I believe that I want to motivate them more than chastise, you know, so I, I hope I come across that way. But, you know, back to the Georgia thing, it was this New York kid at, at uh, 20 years old in 1978 uh, going down to southeast Georgia. This is about 70 miles southeast of Savannah. Um, I mean, beautiful 40, part of the country. It's great. It was about 40 miles from uh, the, the Floridian border. Okay. Um, what's it near? Vidalia. You've all heard of Vidalia sure. onions? Okay. That Vidalia. The Claxton fruit cakes that we all buy, it, right. <laughs> they're all Claxton, Georgia. Um, so I get down there, and here's the truth. Now, nothing against Southerners, because my wife now is a Southerner. Oh, that's and right. And a Mississippi Southerner. Yeah. So she's got quite the accent. So one day, a uh, guy walks up to me not long after I arrived and says, Hey, boy. <laughs> and I said, Yes, sir. He goes, Know the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee? <laughs> and I said, No, sir. He goes, Yankees come down to visit. <laughs> and he left it there. And I guess I had to figure out the yeah. rest because it didn't take me much to figure out, okay. I said, fear not. I really don't plan on being here all that long. It was a different... What was your gig there? I was doing... Uh, I got hired out of school, out of college to be... Uh, I think I started... I can't remember his mornings or afternoons. It, it, very quickly, it became program director because nobody stayed very long. Oh my, that was your first PD gig as well. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you want to call it that, I mean, it was it was a 500 watt daytimer that if you went, you couldn't hear it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, but by the way, and I think I actually think iHeart owns it today. It's WTNL. I, I think they still exist or did last time I checked. Were you nervous? I mean, getting in the car all of a sudden to leave town, leave home. I'm assuming for the first time, or you oh, just... first time, yeah. Uh, no, I was excited. I did it in. Uh, I did it in a day, 24 hours. Wow. I stopped, I think, somewhere in North Carolina for the day. And I remember I had to go through some great towns. I got to go through Philadelphia sure. and, and Washington and Baltimore and all those cities right down the 95 corridor. And I ended up down there and uh, I, I, I just had a blast. It was great. Now, after your dad got over the, I'm sure, disappointment, <laughs> which, by the way, resonates with me. My father's a physician as well. Mm. And I think secretly he would have loved for me to be a, a, a doctor. And there's no way I could have, I could have hacked the academics. Um, 
but my dad has always been really supportive. Was your father after he got over the disappointment? Do you feel that he supported you or was he always a little bit second guessing your uh, choice? I know he supported me because he actually, my dad actually got into an argument with my father-in-law at the time uh, because he said, uh, my father-in-law said uh, he questioned my abilities and my talent and whether I'd make it enough to be able to support his daughter. Wow. And my dad says, you scumbag. Who do you think you're talking? That's my son. He's really talented. You have no idea. The same guy, by the way, who said, are you sure you're good enough for this? Because he didn't, he didn't know either. But no, he stuck up for me and everything later on. He, uh, so you guys had a good relationship. We and- did. I was closest to my dad after I left home. Oh, that's interesting. It was funny. Um, did you feel I, he was kind of, you're in his shadow a little bit? No, um, he, he worked his ass off. Okay. Um, he did. He was, a, he, 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 he was, he had three jobs at one time, you know, in, in his practice. And, you know, he'd leave in the morning, he'd come home at 11. I just felt, you know, I never saw him. So until he left and I realized what a work ethic really means, I didn't appreciate what he'd done for us. Um, and That's hard sometimes when you're younger. You don't get that perspective, unfortunately, until later on in life. No, you don't. Yeah. You really don't. Yeah. Yeah. So from TNL, you go to uh, WXIL in West Virginia. So you stay in the South. Parkiesburg. Parkiesburg, <laughs> West Virginia. What was the opportunity that led you there? A $20 raise. <laughs> I swear to God. I, I made $110 at WTNL a week. $110 okay. a week. So it's a less than $500 a month. I was living in a trailer. And I thought, wow, I could have a real place. And this pays $130 a week. You were living in a trailer, like a I trailer was, park? with three other guys. Oh, my God. With three of the guys that all worked there. And we each paid like 50 bucks, and it literally was a trailer. Oh, my um, God. So this was a real place. It's what I, what I love about, and I'm going to kind of knock these out along the way. Oh so God, from there, you go to Allentown. And Wait, that, before, you, before you leave Parkersburg. Okay. Have, let there, me was more, you, there was more than no, 20 no, bucks? i got to tell you a story about Parkersburg. And get married. Okay, yeah, please I do. used to do these record hops like every jock did. I have the Bob, my, my air name was Bob Garrett. Okay. Okay. All through my career. My middle name is Gary. So oh, all right. So that's what that's I used. I turned Gary into fact. Gary. fact. I didn't know that. Bob Garrett. Um, so I had the Bob Garrett music machine. And I'm doing this high school dance. I don't know where the hell it was. It was out in the, I mean, it's West Virginia. It's in the hills somewhere. <laughs> so I get lost. Really, This was before navigation. Nothing. I didn't know where the hell I was. So I'm telling you, I'm scared to death. I'm in the mountains. I think I'm going to run out of gas. Sure. I don't know how far I am. I have no way of knowing where I am. I pull into this little gas station and I say to the guy there, and it's already dark. I said, how do I get to Parkersburg? Swear to God, this is what he says. <laughs> Parkiesburg, Parkiesburg, you can't get there from here. And I said, you can't? And he goes, no. I said, but I got here from there. There's got to be a way. He goes, I, you can't get there. I said, okay, thank you. First day there. First day there, I go into a oh restaurant. And I said, what kind of pie you got? The woman says, I got apple pie, apple pie with ice cream, cherry pie, cherry pie with ice cream, <laughs> blueberry pie, blueberry pie with ice cream. Like, oh no! Oh no! But it was, I bet the it pie was, was great, great though. It's it probably great, wonderful. It was. It was a great town. I actually love Parkersburg. Um, it was well, a great, great radio station. I mean, it had as far as I knew, it had the best teen numbers. That uh, this was Arbitron at the time told us that we had the best teen numbers that it had ever seen with something like a 72 oh. share. Was that CHR? CHR. CHR. WXIL, Wixel 95. So on to KAP in Allentown. Oh, that was a morning job. That was uh, working for a guy named Bill Anthony, uh, who was, uh, still is, he's gone, uh, a hero of mine 
who uh, brought me said, I think you can do mornings. Uh, up against, uh, you know, a morning guy at WAEB at the time, uh, long-term legend in the market, uh, came up with different characters than I do. Helicopter Harry, one of these guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I didn't and, know you were quite the, the, the voice character actor as well. And, and Breakfast Barney was a character right. I did. I mean, it was, it was crazy, stupid old 1970s, 1980s stuff uh, of what I thought great radio was. And it probably the, was, by the way. It was fun. I don't know. You know what? Those who can do, do those who can't teach. Were you were you solo? Did you have a producer? I was solo. Show? Oh, God. So it was all this on your own. 1320 AM. One man band. One man band. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think at that time, I probably made... You know, now I'm talking about $220 a right. week or something. It was like, it was, wow. Living large. Wow, I'm living large, WKAP. But Allentown is another great radio town, the Lehigh Valley. Um, you know, and, and I knew that people went to Allentown for talent. So that was really part of the draw there. Because if you go and you look at some, some of the guys from WABC came out of Allentown. I went, okay, I'm going to make a decision to actually try to work in a town where they look oh, for so other So it was like talent. a feeder market, basically. Kind of was, yeah. Because you make a gigantic jump there. From there, you go to Philly to CAU, and you become one of the hot shots. So yeah. how does that all come about? That was 1981. And I'm only like 22, 23 years old. I got a call from Mike Joseph, uh, who was the hot hits guy. And he was going to be responsible for the resurgence of Top 40 of CHR. Because uh, it had died. Remember, the disco era right. killed CHR. You know, it was disco and you know, the whole... You know, burning records and sure. And, uh, Which that whole record burn took place? Was that in Detroit? In Chicago. That, oh, Chicago. Okay, yeah. okay. I think it was Steve Dahl. I think. I think it was. I think, I think you're Steve right. Dahl. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you know, CHR was in real trouble. Mike Joseph brought it back with uh, with hot hits. Now, if you listen to hot hits, and and I have some air checks of hot hits, it's a really frantic, fevered pitch radio station with jingles uh, every. We use jingles out the wazoo. Hot hits. Get on that phone and call it your favorites, Montgomeryville. Tonight at 8, we'll play the eight most requested songs of the day on 98 Now. 1226 of Bob Garrett and the Go-Go's. Our lips are sealed. Bob Garrett. WCAU FM. 98 now or sometime between 4 and 6 today, we will count the music for a 10 speed and a key worth 10 grand. It's 1231 with champagne and try again. There was a jingle into stop sets. You would jingle into a stop set, which I'd never heard before. I'm going, wait a second. Why would we do that? And he goes, good God, Mom. You want to highlight the negative. Really? Okay. <laughs> highlight the negative. All right. I'll remember that. Um, but Mike was, uh, was, he was also working with, you know, the guys at WABC. He will tell you that he is single-handedly responsible for WABC and forget Rick Sklar. I taught Rick Sklar everything he knows. Um, Mike was really, really unique when he hired all of us. And let me see, there was... Uh, mornings with Scott Walker. He came from BJ 105 in Orlando. It's amazing. I still remember this. Uh, Rich Hawkins came out of Columbia, South Carolina. Rich would later become a regional for, for Clear Channel. Um, then I did noon to three. Rich did nine to noon. Uh, then there was Todd Parker. <clears throat> sorry. Uh, Todd came out of Albany, New York, I think. Uh, and Terry Young, the Motormouth Terry Young, who's still working on Sirius, uh, came out of uh, New Orleans. Uh, Billy Burke. Uh, who eventually worked at Kiss and all yeah, those places? Billy Burke worked at uh, K Big. K Big, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so all the, we would sit around and we'd do these dry runs before we launched the format for about a month. 
So you uh, get hired, and it's basically top secret because you're getting ready to flip this format. Top secret. They bring us all into Philly. We stay in, uh, you know, we stay in a hotel for a couple of weeks. They hold us up. We uh, we come to the radio station. And we do these dry runs in the production room, which I hated. I still think voice tracking sucks. By the way, even though everybody yeah, does it, because something about being live on the radio is totally different. I would agree with you. There's totally a soul. Different. There's something about the live. I completely agree. And now, not only you know, yeah, I mean, everybody voice tracks and all, but even the live talent, you can't do it live anymore. You're not listening on the air. Yeah. You're listening because of the HDs. Everything's delayed. Yeah. So you're listening, you know, through processing that isn't real on the air. Anyway, um, so we're sitting around. I'll never forget these. This. Uh, one day I said, uh, and he would do these dry runs and then he would critique us in a circle. I mean, we're literally looking at each other and he's with his legs crossed and his, he's probably all of 55 years old at the time. I thought he was an old man. Um, <laughs> he's got his notepad and he's taking notes with a stopwatch because if you talk more than 10 seconds. Oh my gosh. Oh God. You can't talk more than 10 seconds. <laughs> There's no, t- 10 seconds is all you get. So uh, He was one, less is more before less is oh, more. Oh gosh. If you can't tell a story in 10 seconds, don't bother Wow, uh, this was this was really fast paced. It's pretty intense. I mean, how old are you at this time? Uh, Twenty two. I mean, so this is a. I mean, a, a gigantic market jump. But you've been now pretty. I don't want to say unsupervised, but when you're working at a smaller station, you don't have the resources, the people around you, and now you've got someone literally having you do rehearsals. Right. With He's, a stopwatch. Nobody taught me discipline prior to Mike Joseph. I never knew what discipline was. I never knew how to be a jock. I didn't know that it's not only what you say, it's what you don't say. I've got so many great things from Mike Joseph. But the, the, the one that stands out is I remember sitting in the circle and it's my turn. And one of my breaks, here's what I said. I said, 98 now with Bob Garrett, it's uh, three past one. Uh, and he said, whoa, 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 stop, stop the tape. Go back, go back, play it again. And I went, <laughs> 98 now with Bob Garrett. It's three past one. He goes, stop. What did you say? And I went, well, you heard it twice. <laughs> I can repeat it for you. He goes, you, what, what time is it? I said, it's three past one. You should be parking cars for a living. <laughs> oh, my God. And I said, you are an idiot, he says. And I said, why? He goes, digital time. Digital time, digital time, digital time. Nobody says three past one. And he goes around the room. Billy, do you say three past one? Oh, no. No, wow. Terry, what about you? I've never used anything but digital time. <laughs> I only use only only digital time. And everyone, of course, throws me right under the bus. Yeah. And, and, uh, about and three he hits me. Tall. Yeah, and he hits me with a pad. And Are you said, serious? Yeah, he smacks me with his legal pad. And I said, what's that for? He goes, because I want you to remember that you never use anything but digital time. I said, but you would want me to say 103? <laughs> yes. I said, 103 is magic 103. That's our competition. I don't want to say their frequency. You really are an idiot. I mean, and and that was, so he taught me, you know, how to self-edit, that brevity is everything. You, you talk to people I work with, they'll still tell you, I say that all the time, brevity, brevity, brevity. If you, you know, people say, how long is a good bit? Well, if you have to ask me, it's too long. And, you know, if you can't tell, if you can tell a good story in, in three minutes, you can tell it in 90 seconds. Uh, so it's all about, you know, there is no right time. It's 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 learning what not to say. It's learning what to say. Right. So, so you've been on radio. You're 22, and you've now been ca- called. You've been called a schmuck, schmuck, and an idiot. Oh, I've been called a lot worse than that too. <laughs> I can't say it uh, here exactly, but, but you kept your chin up and uh, and stuck with it, man. I did. So you're finally on the air. There. What does that feel like? Are you nervous? You're just wow. about to crack the mic for the first time. Philadelphia. At the time, it was market number five. 
um, I'm, I'm in the business only three years, and I was blessed. I just thought, yeah. God, I am so lucky. I am so lucky because I never real honest to God, Chachi, I never thought I was that good. I thought it was okay. I was, I was what I still call a dime a dozen jock. You know, a guy who, what am I going to make? 60 grand a year, top end. And right. I went, you know what? I don't have, my dad may have been right. I don't have what it really takes. I know what it sounds like, but I don't, I don't know, I don't know that I can really do it. And, you know, I'm not quick enough. Maybe, maybe, maybe I don't have the self-confidence at 22 years old to really. So, you know, I, I wanted immediately, I remember sitting with my first wife, sitting in the studio. She went with me and we used to work six days a week, six hour shifts on the weekend. And I said to her, you know, I'm still having fun at this, but the day I stop enjoying this is the day I'm not going to do this anymore. I always want to do better. Mm -hmm. I have that kind of drive. Um, so I said, I want to program. So that's what I always wanted to do. I want, I want to show people, I want to teach people how to do better than I can do. And, and that's what my goal was. And is that when you had that realization that you wanted to pivot into programming? I did. Basically about, it took a couple of years. It wasn't, it wasn't like a 22, 20, I was 23 actually, 1982. Yeah, I was, I was in 82 by that time. Now I'm 20. So in 81, I'm 23. In 1983, I started to realize after a couple of years there, yeah, I'm kind of bored. I'm kind of bored. I feel like I'm stagnating. I, you know, no one's, you know, I don't know. Felt like the jaws of teen were teens were closing in on me. Um, we'd already launched other hot hits in Boston and in Chicago right. and and in Detroit. And I thought, well, maybe this has run its course. Maybe it's time for me to think yeah. about doing something else. Which, by the way, I'm going to show you this paper right now. And I mentioned at the beginning, I broke your career into five chapters, oh, and I great. think it's a fantastic transition into chapter two. Chapter two. What? So from Philly, you go to CBS in St. Louis. I and did. It, is that was that your first programming gig? Uh, well, my first real program, I mean, that little gig in, in Reedsville, Georgia was a programming gig, but um, yeah, that was my first big market program. At the time, I think that was market 14 or something like that. Um, I was young ar and very arrogant. Um, Were you, know, you from the success, do you think your your quick rise to in, in Philly? Oh, I was at the or? time, I think the youngest programmer ever to work for CBS at that time. Wow. I mean, I think it was 25. And I mean, and, obviously, the Tiffany Network and doesn't get much more prestigious than CBS. At that time, it was it was everything. I mean, we had back in the day, seven a.m., seven FMs. You know, Robert Highland the third was in charge of it. Bob Vander Hayden was was a group PD, a vice president of programming back then. And I thought uh, that's that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. But I went there, and uh, Ed Scarborough was the PD before me. Uh, and he was there for, he, he launched it. And, you know, he was the fair-haired child who could do no wrong. And I followed in these huge footsteps. He was much more experienced, much more diplomatic. Um, I, I walked in, in, in this, with this arrogance about me, and that job did not last long. So, so anyway, the job didn't work out for me. So it didn't work out. They let you go, I assume? They let me go. What uh, was that like? The, uh, that was uh, humbling, yeah. to say the least. Uh, Were you expecting it? No, uh, no, I thought I was doing a great job. Um, but, you know, just yeah. a, just an immature young man 
who thought that his way was the way. And there's so many people who do that and make that mistake. Hey, I did very similar stuff. I mean, when you think about our upbringing and not our with our family, but in the business and the things that were allowed back then oh God. compared to today, I oh mean, God. oh my gosh, it's just changed so much. But, oh you know, there's stories I've had headphones thrown at me. I've had, you know, been, uh, my, my fair share of that stuff. And so the, the, similar to what you experienced. And so when you get into that role, you tend to, I think, want to emulate the people sure. that- and then you realize, well, wait, maybe that isn't so Yeah, cool. that's probably, I shouldn't have, I still have, you know, if you ever ask me, and you might, uh, so let me answer it now. <laughs> it, if you ever have one big regret, it's kind of early on doing that, making mistakes yeah. like that that were so unnecessary. Have you read Howard Stern's most recent book? I've not yet. It's really interesting. A lot of listeners were actually very disappointed. I've got a best friend who listens to Howard, you know, every morning. And so it was a lot of uh, his material on the air has been regurgitated for the book. So it was actual interviews, but he does talk ahead of each interview. And one of the things that he said is that because of his own ego, and I'm going to do a, a poor job of paraphrasing this, but I'll do the best I can. He had such a gigantic ego that he would have a problem if he had ever perceived someone to have more success than him. And so one of those people that he would interview or one of those people that he interviewed that he felt was more successful than him was Robin Williams. Mm. And I guess it was a very horrific interview and he was very hard on Robin Williams. And Robin Williams apparently was a good sport about it, but he had felt very bad in retrospect about how he treated Robin Williams. Well, he and, and uh, was it Bill Maher? Um, uh, from who's got the HBO show? It's uh, Bill Maher. Bill Maher, yeah. yeah uh, they had a falling out for years yeah. because he was on Howard's show yeah. and Howard Hard. treated him badly. Yeah. I and saw a recent interview when he was back on the show now uh, that, that Stern was on Bill's show. Oh, and, uh, interesting. They, they had they made a, amends. Made amends yeah. and uh, they get along. Yeah. And Howard realized, I mean, you know, I guess you get older and you realize, you know, I probably, uh, you, didn't, you, don't, you don't know what you don't know as a youngster. And then you yeah. get older and you realize, I do know what I don't know. <laughs> you know, yeah. there, there's the sign of maturity. Yep. One youngster says, I don't know what I don't know. Therefore, I must know everything. <laughs> and wait a minute. I actually do know yeah. what I don't yeah. know. And he knows it. Yeah. I want to find out from him. And that, that's the great thing about, uh, you know, guys like Ed Christian, you know, who, who's been in this industry for a long time at Saga. I've learned from so many other people, everybody uh, right on down. I learned from you. I mean, I, you know, I, I learned from... So many people. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, well, I, I appreciate that. And it works both ways, man. I've learned a lot from you over the last, I know our, our relationship is still relatively young, but uh, the, the last couple of years have really been- Well, I'm old, so <laughs> we, got, we got to make time up real Excel, fast. Accelerate the process. Accelerate the process, will you? So let's uh, take me through the rest of uh, chapter two here. So you go to uh, KITS in San Francisco. Yep. I mean, that's a pretty awesome That was awesome another movie. hot hit station um, okay. that- actually evolved it was hot hits but it evolved into hit radio so was that um, owned by cbs it was not it was oh. intercom back then okay okay uh, it was one of joe field joe was running the company back then so we're you, talking 1983 so you landed on your feet you go from I, uh st louis to because Philly. i begged for that job I, I called a guy named jerry mckenna who was the uh, gm and i basically said <laughs> you know i don't even think i told him i got fired i just said i really want this job and honestly i called him so much one day he said to me bob I told you I'm looking at it. I told you I'll call you. Don't call me anymore. <laughs> of course, I kept on calling him, and I got the job. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that was uh, that was kind of I, I I hadn't grown yet, you know. I, I and and I still needed to uh, to learn more. Uh, although I think we we had a great radio station, but they changed format. You know, that's when they went to Live 105, 
uh, shortly, about a year, okay. year and a half later. It's got to be uh, hard to learn, though. It's like all of a sudden you leave St. Louis, you keep on working your way to bigger and better bigger markets. Market. <laughs> well, it is it is a tough lesson to learn because you think, well, you know, I thought I was a schmuck, but maybe I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and and uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed that experience. So you're in San Francisco, you're programming San Francisco and on the air? Or uh, no, this was my first, off, oh no, my second, KHGR is off the air too. Uh, off air. Off air, okay. Um, and as I, as I said, that was, you know, Joe was in charge. He had Minneapolis. He had, uh, I think he bought KITS back in the day uh, when FM, you know, back in the 70s for I think $15,000 or something like that. It was a ridiculous amount of money um, that, uh, it's funny, I think they sold it to CBS. Now they own it again. Um, or maybe it's clear. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, uh, Live 105 I, is, um, uh, Live 105 is iHeart. Oh, it's iHeart. Yeah, so right? that, that kind of changed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's one of those guys. Um, they're so yeah, I, you know, I, I can't keep sweat. track of them anymore. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, from there, uh, uh, San Diego. Yeah, I, I was. Humbled. And so you left after they flipped. I, I San did. Francisco. Yes, Got they it. flipped to live um, shortly thereafter. Ed Cramp, who's a wonderful guy and deserves all the credit, uh, actually fired me. But I, I love Ed. Uh, <laughs> oh he my God. He, It's it's really weird because he eventually uh, he uh, went over to iHeart and was working at the San Francisco cluster there. Yeah, he really? was my boss here. Oh, right. He in worked LA. in K-Big and Coast. And right, right, literally up the street, the street, right here in Brandon. I yep, did research right when you guys were here in Glendale. Yeah. I remember coming to Glendale. Yeah. And uh, so the funny thing is, is when he fired you, when I had to let the very first person go, and I'd never let anyone go before, and I still, I hate doing it. I'm sure oh, you do as well. I don't know terrible. anyone that, if, if you've got a heart, it is just really difficult. And I don't mean, it's always harder for the person who's getting let go than the person who's got to do it, but it's still very, sure. very hard. And something I, I I lose sleep over, and this was a, a situation like that. And I actually had called him just for advice on how to do it. He'd gone up to San Francisco. He'd just left here and uh, uh, moved up there. And I remember him walking me through how to do it. And apparently, Ed is so good at it that sometimes the person being fired actually is like, "Don't feel too bad, Ed." <laughs> no, I know it happened. Uh, uh, Warren Warren Lada used to be. Uh, he retired last year. But he was the former COO of Saga. People would hug him after Warren. Warren would fire somebody, and they'd hug him. And I went, how do you do that? How do you get someone to hug you after you've let them go? People in the company would talk about it, go, oh, it's time for somebody to get hugged, uh, to hug Warren. Uh, but oh, was one time I had, to, I had to let someone go where he was drunk on the air. And I went and smelled, sniffed the bottle. Oh, he didn't drink and the vodka. It was no, it was it was rum. It was coke. It was rum and coke. And I opened it up because he's slurring on the air. Oh, all no. these things. And I went, okay, get up. And he says, go ahead, fire me. I said, okay, you're fired. And I'm standing against a wall. And he so a drunken guy just telegraphs his punch. Yeah. And he just hauls off roundhouses and punches a hole in the wall. Because oh I just got out of the way. Because you got out of the way. But he literally I mean, tried to cold cock it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But he was so drunk. It was So I said, okay, that's enough. Here are the cops. Get the cops there. Oh, so, my. So uh, you actually you had to call the cops. I did. Well, because I I was now I was I've honestly never heard that afraid. before. I was I'm afraid. sure. Probably should. Can we edit these out? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mention any names. I didn't mention so any it's, names. It's, it's completely fine. By the way, uh, you know, also a good Man. guy. Just made some, you know, so many people just make bad choices. Yeah. It is what it is. So you. You leave San Francisco. How do you land in San Diego? Ah, oh, wonderful guy by the name of Nick Bazoo. Now, in San Francisco, up against KITS, I was up against KMEL. 
and uh, they just clobbered us. When, when KML came on the air and moved off rock and went CHR, they clobbered us. Um, and uh, Nick Ferrara, uh, his, his uh, professional name was Nick Bazoo, uh, knew I was having a little bit of, I was, now I was having a rough time. Now I'm out of work for six, seven months. Oh, you are now, in San Francisco. Yeah. And now, now I'm, I'm on, I'm doing swing work on some other, I'm okay. doing swing work at KFRC, which by the way is where I work with great talent like Bobby Ocean and all these sure. great guys at KFRC. Dr. Don Rose. Yeah. Was the know, Duke up there at the time? The Dave Duke Schultz. was yeah. there. Duke is the one who actually, well, he actually had a secretary fire me <laughs> when they <laughs> oh, change, when they change format. Are you serious? Um, yeah. I always, I always, I've, I've given him crap before for, for having me fired on the phone. I, look, I was a part-time guy and you know, they were changing format. What yeah. are they supposed to do? Call it, you know. So, uh, but yeah, no. So Nick calls me I'm up in San Francisco and he says, Hey, um, I hear you're having a tough time. I got an afternoon drive opening and a production director's gig. Will you be interested? And I went, yeah, hell yeah. Working for Nick Bazoo. You kick their ass. I want to learn from you. <laughs> um, so, uh, he, he hired me, went down to San Diego, uh, fell in love with San Diego. That's it. I mean, that's where, that to me was home, as you're going to yeah. probably mention, for a long, long time, yeah. especially when I had a decision as to where I could live if I made my own choices. Uh, so worked there. What happens? They change format. Oh, and they man. become the wave after Frank Cody's success here in LA with KTWV. Sure. K KMET went to KTWV. And they launched the wave. I think it was eighty six, eighty six. That becomes Kiffum, right? No, uh, no, Kiffum. No, that was K. That was Kiffum. That's different. KSWV. Oh, KSWV was where okay. we were in San Diego. We we took uh, it was Gannett, um, and we put uh, the satellite music network on with with the wave network. Okay. The irony of that is, I was the sole survivor there. They let everyone else go except me. Now I'm put in charge in charge of uh, the wave and Kenny and, G Records and Kenny G Records and. Uh, really finding our way through this because nobody knew what this format was really capable right. of yet. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's how I, I then I got in, stayed there for a while. And Frank Cody calls me one day, and he says, uh, "You know anybody be interested in producing Japanese programming for us?" Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. So, like, we're going to go into now chapter. This is officially now <laughs> chapter three. Chapter three. Yeah. So, how is it that you go all of a sudden? You're programming here in the states and. Do you I, go to Japan? No. Uh, well, I, I visited, but okay. I never worked there. Um, I went there to meet the staff and the people, and I'm promote. I'm programming music for smooth jazz in Japan. Um, what is it was called? J Wave. Okay. J Wave. Um, now there are some funny stories to this as well. They said, uh, "Would you know anybody who'd be interested in doing this?" And I went, "Well, how much does it pay? <laughs> and where is it?" And he said, well, it pays X amount of dollars, and it's in Princeton, New Jersey. And I went, Princeton? Isn't that near Plainsboro, New Jersey? And he said, yeah, it's the next town over. That's where my daughters were. No way. And I went, oh, wow. It's a sign. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen uh, the, the show with about the Four Seasons? Um, it's a sign, Frankie. <laughs> um, my daughters were there, and I said, yeah, me. And so I took the job, but I had to move to Chicago for nine months because they had to build studios in their Princeton offices. So they're basically building a satellite network, it sounds like. Yeah, they, well, they had a, they, the Japanese already had the network. Um, we were just going to program a lot of their programming. Interesting. Um, but they, did they want it to be American content in Japan? It was, it was more about the music. Yes, it was, uh, I remember the V 
the uh, the voiceover were Americans. Uh-huh. It was, it was, they were very into the American way. Yeah, I, um, there's a similar story with uh, I believe Kiss FM here in LA back mm-hmm. around the same time. They had I, I it was a simulcast or there was some sort of uh, yes, it was the same company. Yeah, okay. Uh, so it was kind of block formatted, and we would yeah they would have different American things on there. You know, they were very much into what we were doing at the time, um, and and I. I did that. So then I moved to Chicago, worked out of WNUA uh, for about eight months or so until they built the studios. Then I moved to New Jersey. Um, and eventually that uh, became, I, I realized they were doing research and all. I went, wow, okay, well, whoa, cool. There's there's another aspect to this industry I've never right. really understood before. I want to get into the research end of this. Wow, I could be programming and research. Hence, so- broadcast architecture, the science and the art combined um, and and then I decided I was going to. I see. So the Japanese company was doing a lot of research. I'm assuming on records, on uh, what they were going to put well, on. Well, we well we were doing research not only for radio. We were doing research for Briar's ice cream. We were doing research for all these other non-radio companies as well as radio. We did B- BA was yes. We okay, did but hold music. on really quick. Let's go back to the Japanese company. Sorry, I just want to make sure I completely understand. So you're programming in New Jersey for them. Yep, and we're sending get- them on. Everything's on DAT. Okay. Programming. Yeah, we, didn't, sure we didn't upload it back then. There yeah. was no, we couldn't yeah. do that. So we sent it on DAT. The DAT. Old yeah, and DAT then mini after that, yeah. Yeah, the little so, cassettes, tape cassettes. But you um, get introduced to research at that point? Uh, from Cody Leach Broadcast Architecture, because Owen Leach, who was a partner, came out of research. Frank Cody was the other partner, came out of programming. So okay. they created Cody Leach Broadcast Architecture. Okay, understood. That's And then we were doing music testing. We figured, okay, we have this dial technology. Sure. Huh. We used to use that. We, yeah, what yeah. can we do with this? And and Owen and his genius uh, uh, thought, wow, what would happen if we tested music this way? Because they were using it for television testing on oh. Madison Avenue. Uh, you know, emotional testing. Right. And uh, wow, let me see. It's kind of like the radio. You turn it up when you like it. You turn it down when you don't. Hmm, that might work. Steve Rivers, rest his soul, was part of the testing process because uh, he was working at Kiss in Boston at the time. Uh, so that's how I grew close to Steve. And, you know, how do we measure burn? Did we need to measure burn? Unfamiliarity, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you always start the dial at 50, I remember. Well, that's where you'd start yeah. each, each pot of each music. Pot of but, his, right. but from one song, you just went from one song right. to the next. There was yeah. no, because that's the way people listen to the radio. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you, people always say, well, doesn't one song influence the other? No more than it does when you're listening to the radio. Yeah. I mean, you know, no more than I would turn this song off because the last song was this. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And that's where we really realize that, that burn is a function of current music only. That library music, songs 25, 30 years old, they don't burn. They just you know, have to be rotated properly. Um, so I, I was really fascinated by that. And I had a lot of West Coast clients, including K-Big yeah. and Coast. We used uh, BA all the way through the entire yeah. time I was there with, uh, at the time, with Stuart, Stuart Saunders. Stuart yeah. Saunders, who's working at his own company. Yeah. And because uh, BA doesn't exist anymore. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Uh, so, yeah. So, KB so are you, do you stay in New Jersey or you come back now? Well, no, that was it. All my clients were out here in San Francisco, in LA, okay. in Sacramento. I was doing all these AMFM clients at the time, you know, because we were owned by AMFM right. before the Clear Channel days. Oh. So Frank and Brian, Brian Stone eventually became another partner, said, hey, you know what? It's costing us a fortune to keep sending you out west. Do you want to just move there? And I went, yeah, let me see. Let me see. <laughs> Princeton, New Jersey or San Diego? Mm, I kind of felt like Joe Pesci. I could really use a good ass kicking right about now. Uh, I picked San Diego. 
And uh, so we ended up moving to Escondido, San Diego. Loved it there. Uh, and then you're doing a lot of traveling yeah. at that point. A lot of traveling. Doing AMTs. But, but, mostly, and... but mostly West Coast travel. Okay. Uh, let's say from the Rockies West. I did Denver and places like right. that. Uh, you know, LA all up and down the uh, California dial. Uh, and then, um, let's see. I get a call from Jimmy DeCastro one day who says, you know what? We need a program director in San Francisco. Now, I'm with BA now. Ten years, maybe maybe a little longer. Oh, this is a while. This is now. It's nineteen ninety eight, and uh, they said uh, need a PD. Uh, I'd like you to go to San San Francisco to program for KIOA K one hundred one. And I went, hmm. Ooh, I don't know how that's going to go over because now my wife loves San Diego. Sure, who wouldn't? Sure. And uh, so I go to New York for a uh, for a Jam and Oldies kickoff launch uh-huh. where the GM is going to be. Jimmy's there and everybody's there and. We put a deal together, and I go back to San, San Diego, and she says, you you took the job, didn't you? You took the job. And I went, uh, yeah, 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 but it's a really a lot of money. It's really good money. Great radio station. Uh, great radio, a lot of money, Don Blue, mornings, you know. Um, not, so, not a crummy market by any, a, not, uh, no, no. any stretch of the imagination. Top five, and... Uh, so we, we went, and, and that was not a good experience just because of the situation there. Um, but, but I mean, at you, that time, you had Don Blue, legendary morning show. Don Blue. Don, one of the sweetest guys in the whole world. You know Don? I've only met him once, yeah. Sweet, sweet man. Um, here I am, you know, trying to have a radio station that appeals 35 to 44-year-old females, and Don, you know, with all, he's really talented, but he's talking about things like his... Spain vacation and his golf game. (laughs) I said, Don, you know, first day I'm there, I bring Don in. I said, hey, you know, let's chat. And he says, before you start, Bob, I just need to tell you something. I've been here for 20 years. I've been through multiple program directors. I think you're like the seventh or eighth or so. And I will tell you, I'll probably be here after you're gone. So what would you like to say? What would you like to tell me? And I went, you know, I'm good. Never mind. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> so, that's that. So how long were you there? Uh, about a year and a half, and I realized, I, don't, I you know what, I really don't want to do this anymore. I didn't want to do it. Um, so uh, Clear Channel had just taken over. And frankly, with all respect to iHeart and Clear Channel at the time, right? Uh, if you were with the AMFM kind of people, you kind of had a target on your back sure. a little bit. And I kind of felt, you know, if I don't do something else... I'm going to be out of here anyway, yeah. so I may as well. And that's when I thought, you know, I don't have a non-compete doing research anymore, and there's 85% of the rest of the country besides Clear Channel. Uh, so that's when I launched my research company in 2000. So now we're going to get right into uh, into Chapter 3. So big move. I mean, to go and launch your own company, what did that feel like? Or sorry, uh, Chapter 4, chapter my four. apologies. Yeah, um, yeah uh, it felt great. I was I had no one to thank, no one to blame but me. Uh you know, I already now. Now Ken Benson, who was my vice president of programming at the AM/FM station in San Francisco, uh, had been with Citadel, and I thought, "Wow, this is great." He wants research, and we had a lot of research. He loved what we did, and Citadel, now Cumulus, um, was doing a lot of research for me, and I, I was getting a lot of lot of. I had hired other people to work with me. Company started to grow, uh, made good money, uh, built a good reputation. And and then Ken leaves Citadel. I went, oh crap. Steve Rivers was also the VP of programming or chief programming officer now for CBS, and uh, we got a lot of CBS business that way. 
Ken leaves. Ken comes to work with me, ironically, goes to launch an international b- division for us. Right. Uh, and did a great job. And Ken's um, been incredibly instrumental in our career. I met Ken years ago in San Diego yep. I, when he was programming MTV at the time. I actually had to go pick him up at the airport. My boss uh, sent me down to get him in the airport in my jalopy of a car. And I remember <laughs> like sitting next to him the entire time like, oh my God, Ken Benson's sitting next to me. <laughs> Ken is an extremely talented, uh, smart guy. Great programmer, good researcher as well. Yeah. Uh, great career. Uh, loved working with him. And we... Uh, it, back in, you know, 2008, 2009, things began to crash. You know, the first thing that people cut is consultants, sure. research. So all of a sudden, that business kind of just began to decline, and I had to start letting people go. Um, now, one of my clients at the time was Saga. This is where Saga comes in. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're doing some research for them in various markets, uh, most of their bigger markets. We were doing, you know, Milwaukee and Norfolk and... And uh, <clears throat> I get a call one day in Columbus from Chris Forye, who's now our senior VP of operations at Saga, and says, you know, um, I think Ed and Warren want to talk to you. And I went, who's Ed? Who's Ed? Um, <laughs> and he goes, well, our, you, you probably want to do a little research on that. He's the president and CEO of Saga. Uh, I think they want to talk to you. About what? I don't know. Um, and, uh, you know, there was an opportunity that had arisen um, as a result of my predecessor, uh, uh, who had just was in the process of leaving, and uh, the rest is history. You know, I went to I, Ed calls me. We talk on. I remember in a hotel room. I'm in St. Louis doing music testing for Hubbard, and uh, I'm talking to Ed on the phone for a couple hours. He said, "No, I like you. Uh, would you be willing to come down to Florida?" I said, "Well, fortuitously, I'm taking my wife and daughter, who've never been to Disney World, to Disney World." He says, "Great." Drop them off <laughs> and come to Sarasota, which is where he was, which is where he is right now, actually, too, because um, he's there, you know, six months out of the year. And he said, come see me, and Warren will come down, and we'll just spend the day together. And uh, that, was, that was March 26th of 2015, and I was working on April 13th. Uh, amazing. So you, at that point, you get this amazing opportunity, obviously the head of programming for, for Saga. <clears throat> yeah. So you shutter at that point, the uh, pinnacle. I had to, uh, I, I would have preferred to hand it off to somebody, but as an officer of the company with fiduciary responsibilities, uh, that would have been a conflict in their head, in their minds. Um, I'm sure. So we decided I would just close it up. Unfortunately there, you know, people work for me. They, they too lost their jobs. Sure. But everybody just, there landed on their feet. It was great. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it, it worked out very well. And, and that's where I've been for, you know, five years now. So That's fantastic. Now your second wife, did you guys divorce before, correct? When you went to Detroit? Uh, yeah, I got divorced in 2009. In 2009, yes. man. So that's and, tough. And so you yeah. that same time your business is contracted. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. In fact, I, uh, when you looked at our home that we had bought in Fallbrook, California, when we moved back and decided to launch Pinnacle, that was our my third stop there. Uh, in 2007, our house, which we bought for I don't know, half a million, was worth $1.4 million in 2007. Unfortunately, just two years later, it was worth exactly what I paid um, for it. Well, at least you weren't upside down. I, I wasn't. So, yeah. But we, we, we sold it. We got divorced two years later. I met my wife, Risa. Uh, That's right. Was, I remember I got to meet and have uh, dinner with her a few weeks did. ago. She was in Orange County at the time. She correct? was living in Orange County. We met on Match.com. <laughs> That's um, great. First time I, I, I ever met her, we, we were laughing. And we, you know, I'd been, on, I'd been on Match for a while. I'd been on several dates. And I went, this sucks. This really sucks. This is nothing more than an interview process for your personal life. 
personal life. You know, so uh, how long you been divorced? How many kids do you have? Uh, where are you living? What do you do for a living? How much money do you have? Um, Risa tells me the story how she was actually asked, so uh, the house you have, is it yours? Did you buy it? Is are that you, a real diamond ring? Oh my God, you know, I mean, really? Yeah, they're, you know, on these things, you just got to be really yeah. careful. And uh, we, uh, we sat for hours. We were at the chart house in Dana Point. Oh, it was our first place. date, great place, right on the ocean. And, uh, you know, I said to her, uh, uh, one quick story, we're probably running too long. Um, that night, we were talking about, she was, we were talking about food at dinner at the chart house. And she's mentioning butter beans. And I said, butter beans? What's, what the yeah, hell's a butter bean? Is. And she, she goes, butter bean? What do you mean? You don't, you don't know what a butter bean is? I went, there's no such thing as a butter bean. <laughs> She goes, there absolutely is a butter bean. And I, in her, in her wonderful, beautiful accent that still I get excited to hear, um, I said, that is just a bunch of crap. There's no, this is how honest we were in the first night. We were just having fun. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a bet. I'm going to go up to the first four people that I see here and ask them if there's a butter bean. She goes, okay. And whoever's right pays for the next date. How perfect is that? I already had another date. <laughs> I already had my second day booked. This is great. That was a great. So, so uh, I great get move, up, man. I walk around. There's four women seated right next to us. I said, "Excuse me, ladies, we're on a first date here. We're just getting to know each other." She says something about butter beans. Is there really such a thing as butter beans? And they go, "Absolutely, lima beans, butter. Oh, lima beans, uh, butter beans. No, there, there is a butter bean." I went, "Okay, when?" She goes, "Tomorrow." <laughs> And our second date was, that was a Friday night. Next date was a Saturday night. Oh, man. And we really, uh, we were married. Uh, that was, that I remember the date. It was February 18th, 2011. And we were married December 2nd, 2011. Oh, that's so, incredible. Yeah, well, congratulations. When months. you know, you know, man. Yeah, you kind of do. That's so she's, fantastic. She, she is a oh. wonderful inspiration to me. So you pick up, you leave to Detroit. What is that like to leave San Diego to Detroit? I know we, and this is perfect. So we're wrapping back around to where we started the conversation. I was scary because uh, I, I really did love working for myself. I hadn't been in the corporate world for a little while. I think that was part of the trepidation on their part too, was that, yeah, Bob hasn't been in the corporate world. He's been his own boss for a while. Sure. I wonder how that's going to work out. Um, so it was kind of a learning and I've, I've matured. I mean, I, I'm, I'm 60. I'm going to be 62 in January. So we're oh, only, wait, I, was, look, I was, I thought you were like mid fifties. You uh, look fantastic, man. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, He's lying, by the way. Um, <laughs> you do. In you. 2015, I was uh, 57, 58, somewhere around there. So, I mean, you know, I was, uh, but but that's the beauty of, and, and part of the enamored thing about that was, how many companies hire a 57, 58-year-old guy? You know, Ed values uh, seasoned professionals. He values experience. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't, he doesn't get to a point where he goes, you know what? Uh, he's going to want too much money, whatever the case may be. Um, so, you know, to be valued and, and have still value in my life as a seasoned professional, I think is part of the part, the draw for me. What's more stressful overseeing, you've got over a hundred radio stations that you're responsible for or overseeing your own company? Well, they're both, uh, they're both a great deal of responsibility. It's actually 185. 100, oh my God. 115 AM FM, traditional AM FMs. And we have 75 translators, which, which about 60 of them, I think, are standalone stations of their own. We call them metro signals because they really do serve the metro. Um, you know, they, they cover the market in some of our smaller sure. cities. Obviously, you know, in LA, that's not going to do you a whole lot of good. But, you know, in some of our smaller markets, it really does cover the entire metro, no different than anybody else. Uh, so there we have other formats too. But um, back to the question at hand. 
Um, it's scary on both ends. There's a lot of responsibility. This is a public company. Um, you know, there's responsibilities and, and, and dealing with people who uh, trust you but also question you. I remember Ed said to me in the first, uh, first time I started, he said, look, you're either going to love me or hate me because I'm going to be so far up your butt for the first six months or a year. Because, <laughs> um, you know, he really didn't know me that well, but I think he realized I was a smart guy. I had experience. I had seasoned a bit. And, uh, and and gave me, you know, that kind of confidence. Uh, so there's that, you know, and sometimes uh, I'm still a little arrogant. I still go, wait, wait, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. You know, I can I can be like that. I try to temper that as best I can because uh, I, can, I can still be stubborn and mule-headed and I have a strong opinion about things. But I think that's part of what he likes about me too. I think there's something incredibly important about directness, especially in today's world that we're in. And I think we're all overly cautious not to hurt someone's feelings. And sometimes uh, we can't be honest with each other. And I think from a business standpoint, I think a perfect example, and uh, just we just work, recently worked out our deal. And mm-hmm. you were very just honest with me of what the situation was. And I thought, totally got it because all of us go through, you know, different issues that we've got to sure. get through. And I found it so incredibly cool that actually after we got that deal done, that Ed actually sent me a note just telling me how much he appreciated it. That's the and, kind of guy he is. He, 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 we look for partners and I think he worded it best. Cause I did see that email. Uh, he, he worded it best that we're looking for long-term relationships in all partnerships. I hate being called a vendor and I don't call you a vendor. I consider you a partner. When I wasn't doing research and had my own company, I, I never, I always hated when someone says, oh, you're just a vendor. Uh, no, vendors sell, you know, things out of, out of machines that you put, push the button, <laughs> a, a soda can drops out of. Um, I'm a partner. I, I want to partner with people. And, and we believe that. And he really appreciated uh, your honesty and your ability to be flexible and, and all the things that you, that you do, uh, not to mention the quality of the work. He's heard it. I've heard it. Um, and I'm not pimping you here. I'm just saying, that he does appreciate that when people are willing to give and take, um, there's a mutual respect that way. And he, yeah. he, he considers you now. And I think I mentioned this, it goes a long way. He considers you a partner with Saga. Well, it's so. been a, an honor certainly to, to work with you. And I've only gotten to, to shake his hand once, but uh, I've got the utmost respect for everything he's accomplished. When you look at your guys' balance Wait a minute. sheet. You got to shake his hand? <laughs> yeah, you- I've never <laughs> shaken his hand. What the hell? Hold on, let me get him on the phone. <laughs> but the balance sheet that you guys have and just how well uh, the business has been run, uh, zero debt, it's one of the- Negative debt, debt. negative debt. Um, actually, the company, uh, you know, it's one of those things where we have, and that's what negative, I think negative debt is defined as, more money in the bank than you owe. Um, and that's negative debt. So it's really well operated. Uh, it, uh, it doesn't overspend. It doesn't underspend. Uh, it's, carefully, yeah. it's carefully thought out. How difficult is it to oversee all these radio stations? And you've got, of that, you've got 185, I'm guessing probably close to 100 programmers. 27 markets, probably close to 100. I, I, I'd probably say more like 80 because some of them double up. Um, you know, it, it, it's difficult because I'd like to travel more than I do. But that, as you understand, can be very expensive, very time consuming sure. uh, to be on the road a lot. Um, and then I'm, I'm not in the office to share the responsibilities. We're very collaborative at Saga. Yeah. We don't all have, this is your responsibility, this is yours. Um, you know, you, we kind of share responsibilities regardless of title. Um, I mean, 
you know, so we, we, we just jump out of that at a second's notice. But uh, I, I love, I, I savor, I savor the opportunity to, to, to learn. You know, the mentorship program we did the other day, oh. uh, I learned from young guys. I learned from experienced guys. I try to teach people who are less experienced uh, and have great, we, we have all of that in a, in a, in a company like this. We get to experience it all. My second Sorry. to last question, walk me through your day right now as the head of programming for Saga. Well, I come in, I, uh, I look online, I go to Amazon, <laughs> I uh, listen to iTunes for a while, I fill it with my phone. I get in pretty early in my day. Uh, at my day. I usually get in between 6.30 and 7 every day uh, because I find that peaceful for me. I can get a lot done before most everyone comes in, 8.30, 9 o'clock. Uh, and I also have morning shows I need to listen to. Uh, so I do that every day. I try to rotate through uh, and decide who really needs some attention right now. Uh, where are we coaching? Where, where are issues? Uh, and I tend to listen to the morning shows uh, while I'm, I try to write. Um, I try to write creative uh, uh, imaging. Frankly, oh, for the, uh, so like for, the bigger networks, like the outlaw. Yeah, and- yeah for, for most of the outlaw that you guys do for yeah. us is all written by me or we have a guy in Portland who helps me with that. But uh, there's an attitude to the outlaw. If you've listened to yeah, it, it's great. It's got this old kind of old West kind of yeah. style there, boy. I will- you think you're at a, at a, at a, at a honky tonk. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> our partner, uh, my partner, uh, and our CEO, uh, Andy, who's in, in Stuttgart, Germany, his very favorite station, uh, as far as the imaging goes and the presentation, is the Outlaw. It, he it is really unusual. There. He thinks it, it's fantastic. It, it is one of our favorites, uh, and we just kind of came up with it. Uh, we heard something similar to it once. And we, how can we kind of play on that? And then we've got Pure Oldies, which is another one that I write for a lot that's kind of with the old boss radio style um, we've got radio stations. It's, it's fascinating. We have Chuck in in Charleston, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, number one twelve plus. You know, in the last book, uh, but there oh. are no personalities. Yeah. It's it's all it's kind of like a jack. Yeah. Um, it's it's an adult hit station, but we have some of the best imaging on that station. It's all fresh and written beautifully by Jeff Cushman, our program director out there, who has an attitude with uh, James Justice as the voice, and he, he delivers it with, with such, I don't know, vigor and, and attitude and edge that it's just so much fun to listen to. He is the personality, and we're kicking ass out there. That's with, great. With, with just, you know, simple and our, songs and Our imaging. friend Paul O'Malley is the GM out there. He correct? is. Paul is he a is great indeed. guy. So quick story, and then we'll wrap this whole thing up, but we've got all these uh, mutual friends. So Paul was at uh, Star at the time here in L.A. In LA the general manager. Yeah. And it was back when Ryan Seacrest was doing afternoons at Star. And I had just gotten here. I'd been here for a little over a year. I uh, was working uh, with now Johnny Kay as a programming coordinator. And my start was really producing. So I pr- was an assistant producer for Rick Dees and before that down in San Diego with Michael Steele. Who? Uh, (laughs) just kidding. Uh, You got to love Rick D's. My God. Ryan was looking for a new producer. And so Paul was trying to hire me for that gig. And I had this opportunity to go meet with Ryan, which was uh, pretty cool. His career was just really starting to take off. It was like the first season of American Idol. And, uh, at that time they knew great things were, were certainly destined for him, but Paul was trying to convince me to take that job. And at the same time I had Johnny here who was an amazing mentor to me. And I didn't quite know which route did I want to go down did I want to go down programming or did I want to go down the producing route and uh, so I ended up sticking with Johnny and it worked out great for me but yeah. there are times where I think
think to myself, if you know, what if? If only. If only. But but you've got a great company here. Yeah. You've built a you yeah. built a mountain. Yeah. Uh, you know. And I, Ryan's been through a lot of producers since then. So yeah. yeah. No kidding. Ryan is without a doubt the hardest working guy in radio. I think. Yeah. You know, nobody works harder than that guy I, does. I, I, I don't know how he it. does it. Yeah. I really don't know where this guy finds all the yeah. time. Man, it has been a, a pure pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's only time been 10 minutes. Are we done? <laughs> <laughs> God, really, I'm so disappointed. Crap. Really appreciate it. And thank, uh, you. thank you for taking the time. Uh, Thanks. Bob Lawrence, uh, VP of Programming for Saga.